welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on May 22nd, Lord's Day service. text this morning is the book of Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall, you, shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feast of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Now skip down with me to verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the first day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord, with the grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice for a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be a holy they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall proclaim on that day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And finally, Verse 33, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything 
on its day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you that you have made us for yourself. And may we learn how to enter into your rest. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Why do we celebrate? Once a week and several times a year, we stop our normal work, the work that we do throughout the regular week, and we participate in rituals. Now you think, we don't have rituals. Ancient people had rituals. No, we have a ritual. A ritual is nothing more than something you do on a regular basis that is outside of what is normally practiced. And that's exactly what Sundays are. In these rituals, which we call worship, or holidays, which is actually a contraction of the two words, holy days. We have these things and we enjoy them. But your answer to the question of why we celebrate says a lot about your theology. Taking time for leisure. And when I say leisure, I'm referring here to the traditional name of these culture-building activities. Taking that time is part of the purpose for which God made us. In these actions, we imitate our Heavenly Father. And we bear God's image to others. When we think of leisure, we think of it as my time. Me time. This is when I get to do what I want to do, not what my boss or my spouse or fill in the blank wants me to do. This belongs to me. You know, you can scan the scriptures, and if, if you look up me time, you know how many references you will find? Sounds like most of you already know what the answer to that is. None. No, the Lord gives us these times where we cease from our labor, and he even gives us an example of himself in ceasing from his own labor. Not that he needed to on the seventh day. He chose to do that. Even Jesus, in one of his last acts after his death, he could have been crucified on the cross, been put in the tomb, and then came out immediately. Even Jesus on the seventh day of the week, rested. He remained in the tomb. Israel was called as a light to the nations. We often think that the standards that Israel had for holiness are what made them stand out. You know, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the laws of cleanliness, and that's what you find, that their worship that we see in the first eight chapters of Leviticus. We think of those things as being what separated Israel. But if you read the last several chapters of Leviticus, there's something else that usually is overlooked. And that is the celebration. 
So, so we're going to look today at Leviticus 23, and then coming up we'll look at the year of Jubilee in Leviticus, the main celebration, the celebration that some Israelites would only have once in their entire lives. But we will see that these are something that really distinguished Israel. So they were set apart by their festivals, by their weekly Sabbath rest. And we are set apart in these same things. When we give ourselves over to holy leisure, we are renewed, strengthened, challenged, and transformed. You say, well, I don't really feel renewed, challenged, and transformed. I just feel like I've eaten too much at Christmas and Thanksgiving. Well, that is a challenge in its own right. But when we participate in the gifts of festival, in the gift of the Sabbath, we are able to worship, to remember, to listen, and to celebrate. Because in these times, we cease from our normal daily work. And our, our gaze is transformed from our work to God. We actually have time to praise Him. And yes, of course, we praise Him in all of our work. All of our work is a type of worship. All that's true. But there is something that you're, that, that there's a way on the Lord's day that you were able to honor God in a way that you can't when you're typing on a computer or when you're digging a ditch or when you are working protecting others, whatever it is that you do. In holy rest, we stop our thorn-battling work to prepare for eternal joy. The Lord calls us. He doesn't just give us the option of it. He calls us to this. Think back in your imagination to the best holidays you've ever spent. We all have memories, hopefully. No matter how good or bad your memories are, there, there has to be one that's at least not as bad as the rest. And hopefully one that is just wonderful, that you think, I remember this day as being fantastic. All right? If you take whatever your best memory is of a holiday in the past, you multiply that times a thousand, and you have just a slight glimpse of what eternal joy will look like. This is serious business. It's the business of heaven. There are several appointed times of leisure discussed in Leviticus 23. We see the Sabbath, the Passover, which was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, one called the Feast of Weeks, and then the Day of Atonement, which was a solemn day, and then lastly, the Feast of Booths or Tents. For each of these feast days, 
a household was expected to bring at the very least a grain offering and a drink offering. And then for the harvest festivals, the time when the harvest was coming in, you would bring also abundant food and you would have a party. You would have a gathering together. So let's look at these now just in a little more detail. So we're, we're familiar with the Sabbath. And he begins, though, by explaining the Sabbath. He only gives uh, one verse, really, to that, uh, chapter 23, verse 3. And it is the day, though, and it came every week when God's people would rest. And you will see that these other days, some, the, the, the festival days, are connected by the Sabbath. The Sabbath punctuates our week. It's the day when people rested from their daily labors, not their necessary labors. They were allowed to do things. Don't think that they were all locked in a little box and you could only get up. Maybe, you know, don't make sure you don't sit too far away from the outhouse because you may break that. No, no, no. That, that, that's not from God. That, that's extra biblical laws, okay? There were, Israel was called to not go about their hard daily tasks. This was not a burden. The Sabbath was not a burden. It was a gift. In ancient times, Israel was unique in this Sabbath rest. Because on this day, everyone was given the day off. It didn't matter if you were the head of a great household or if you were the lowest slave in the household. Even the animals got the day off. On the Sabbath, everyone has rest. It's a day, he calls it a holy convocation. We heard that term several times. A holy convocation means it's a time for gathering that where we separate our thoughts and, our, and, and anything that we do to God. In these holy convocations, we are made like, more like God. The Sabbath was a day to worship, to reflect and delight in God's goodness. Well, then there's the first feast, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verses 4 through 14. It was a week dedicated to the memory of Yahweh's passing over the households in Egypt. Remember the last plague, the plague where the firstborn would die and only the households that had the blood on their doorpost would be saved. And when the death angel came through, he passed over all those households that were, that had blood to cover them. But also the Passover marks the beginning of their deliverance from Egypt and their journey to the promised land. So every year Israel was called to reenact this. This feast is a time, as many feasts and holidays are, they are times for reenacting. We not only think about the past, we participate in the past. We engage in some way. So they would eat the same meal, the Passover, that their forefathers had eaten before they left Egypt. And then you have a week of unleavened bread. By the way, that's why when Jesus served his disciples 
at the Last Supper, unleavened bread. It's not that he's saying this is the only type you can ever use. Got it? No, that's the only bread you could find in Judea at the time. Because that marked, when Jesus was crucified that week, that marked the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Their job was to get rid of all the leaven for a time. The second is the Feast of Weeks, verses 15 through 22. This took place 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and it's interesting how he says it. He doesn't just say 50 days. He said that you have seven Sabbaths, seven sevens, 49, and then the next day, the 50th day, it begins a new feast. Now, the Passover was a solemn time because they're remembering how they were slaves in Egypt and delivered. They're remembering bondage, coming out of bondage into the Lord's promise, into his redemption. But this feast is now a feast 50 days after, and it's when the first harvest is gathered. So we call it, you remember the name? Starts with a P. Pentecost. Why? The prefix penta, meaning five, it's 50 days after the Passover. So this is Israel's first Thanksgiving of the year. It's in the spring. So Pentecost is actually coming up the first Sunday in June. That's 50 days after. Here they would bring their offerings to God. They would cease from their labor Again, not just all, it's not all week, but, but, but they would mark it. It was punctuated by ceasing at the beginning and then at the end. Then we have the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. So this began, the Feast of Trumpets began the fall celebrations. Now, of course, the Feast of Trumpets, was, it was different. They would, it's called that because they would blow trumpets and it was marked by the Day of Atonement. Now, this was the fast day. Not feast, but fast. The first day of the seventh month. And they would cease from their work, but here they would fast and they would remember the work of God on their behalf. The day of atonement, we, we talked about this when we looked at Leviticus 16. It's when the priest, the high priest would go into the presence of God, the most holy place. He would, you had the scapegoat and, and all of those things going on. And they would remember that they were called to meet with God, that they were sinners and that he had taken away their sin. That's when the, sin, the, the goat would go out, the scapegoat into the wilderness. They would send the goat away, marking their sins being taken away. And the last feast is called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. This is the second harvest festival. It happens again in the autumn and this is the camping week. You've heard probably, at least many of our, our ancestors in the south, in churches, they would have camp meetings. They would set out a big tent and they would have, you know, church and have a, you know, a really excited preacher come in who would preach and holler and spit and preach some more and everything. That's what we, you know, th those camp, well, well, this was another type of camp meeting. This camp meeting, everyone, every household would build tents with palm branches. And they would have these tents and they would go and the, the family would go outside and camp for a week. Imagine how much fun you would have 
going camping, building a tent, living outside with your family and, you know, their families. We think we have a lot of kids, okay? This is back then. Everybody in the village is like that. And they're all going out camping. And you get to do, enjoy this privilege for a week. But it's not. He's not just saying go out and spend some quality family time, okay? That's part of it. But it's also remembering the time when they were camping in the wilderness for 40 years. This is remembering this last time when God was, before they came to the promised land, they would camp. They had, they had this time. And, and it, so it reminded them of being in the wilderness and how God had brought them out. But then the punctuation mark, and it's not a period, it's, it's an exclamation point. The punctuation of the Feast of Booths was the eighth day. And it's a Monday, excuse me, a Sunday, excuse me, where the people celebrated their final Thanksgiving feast. It was a celebration to end the year. Now this marked a lot of things for Israel, but especially it helped them to remember God is good. He has poured out his blessings. If you go back and look at all the food they were to bring, this was a party. And even according to one commentator, the pilgrims, our pilgrims here, modeled the first Thanksgiving meal on this Thanksgiving meal that we see in Leviticus. And by the way, these feasts are not only in Leviticus. You can also find them in Numbers and in Exodus as well, where there's further instructions given. We could take a lot of time in looking at each of these feasts and what their significance is, but I would rather back up a bit and just look at the feast as a whole. They serve many purposes. They reminded the people, God's people, of what God has done. It puts them in the place of those who lived in the past. And if you think about this, we do things still like this. I mean, why on the 4th of July do we take gunpowder that's wrapped up and light it up and watch it explode? Is it because we just don't, you know... We say, well, September the 9th would have been a good day, but you know, we, we, we just think that we'll, let's shoot off some, some fireworks, as we call them, on July 4th. No, we are remembering a day when we gained independence. It's a, a time of celebration, one associated with a lot of battle. But we are reenacting. We sing patriotic songs. There used to be every year all across the country, 4th of July parades and public picnics. We think of the 4th of July as being, a, you know, private family stuff. No, used to villages and towns would have 4th of July picnics where the whole town would come together and there would be someone who would give a speech and read the Declaration of Independence to the entire group. And still there are small towns that do that. 
just showing the need for community. That there's this one small town in northern Idaho that still to this day, the, the place has only about 120 people who live there. But on July 4th, this town of 120 swells to about three or 4,000 because people from all over the area go to this place because they want to enjoy a slice of American culture the way that the fathers have done it for over 100 years. We have a need for cultural remembrance. It's part of how God made us. These traditions are how God intends that we pass the faith on to future generations. Now look, I'm not saying here that we are called to celebrate these particular feasts as given in Leviticus. This was given to a certain people in time and place. And Paul makes a very specific point in his epistles. We are not bound under this anymore. You're not wrong if you try to do it, but neither are you required to do it. And in the Spirit's work... In our history, we have other events that the church has chosen to mark. Days and weeks that were, where we remember the work of Jesus. We have what's called the church calendar. Where we, Christmas, Easter, again upcoming is Ascension Day and then Pentecost and there's other events as well. But these are how the church for the last several thousand years has marked and has helped, helped pass on our traditions. It's a tool of discipleship. And, and it was a tool of discipleship for the Israelites. But these feasts also serve as types or pictures. Each feast points to something. For, for ancient Israel, it pointed to something that was upcoming. So Passover pointed to the work of Jesus in redeeming us from death because his blood is upon us. The death angel will not touch us. Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost is when the initial harvest arrived. It's early spring. So it's when, you know, the first harvest of the Israelites' crops, they would bring those in. Well, of course, if Pentecost, we see Israel gathered in Acts 2. Remember Acts 2? We know Pentecost as Christians is when, what happened? The Spirit came and the initial gathering, the initial enfolding of saints, the first harvest happened in the Christian church. You had 3,000 who came to faith and were baptized. So the Feast of Pentecost foreshadowed what's going to happen to the church. That's the initial gathering. And then if, if the Feast of Pentecost is the initial harvest, the Feast of Booths foreshadows the final harvest. When, as Jesus says in Matthew 13, when he's giving the kingdom parables, he tells one about the wheat and the tares. He says that the holy angels will gather all the saints one day to be with the Lord. So the day is going to come when all, everyone who has ever lived will be gathered and he will separate those who are not 
of the Lord with those who are His. We are His wheat. We are ground together. And the picture there, when you think about that and you think about the supper that we are taking, this supper is in itself a picture of how we are ground together as His holy wheat and we are made one loaf together because we participate in the one loaf who is Jesus. But it points us, this last feast, it points us to what's going to happen when Jesus Himself gathers us all. If the Feast of Pentecost began the harvest, one day the harvest will be completed. But there's a deeper reason as well that we have these days. And it is only by participating in holy leisure that we are transformed into God's image. These are called, as I said earlier, holy convocations or holy gatherings. And in the book of Leviticus, anything that is holy is something that makes you more like God. It separates you. That's what our lives are about. It's being separated to Him. But we think it's only about all the things you can't do. We think that often holiness is all the don'ts in Scripture. Okay? Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that, thou shalt not... Fill in the blank. But that's not all that makes us holy. Being separated to God. Part of that is done by participating in His gifts. By enjoying His refreshing blessings. In our daily work, God establishes His kingdom. The things that we do that He's called us to in our regular work every day. In holy leisure, He renews His kingdom. He renews us and He renews His world as we enjoy His gifts. When you were a kid, and those of you who are kids right now, you know this. What's more fun? Having to go to school every day or getting to enjoy the weekends when you're off. Okay? I'm sorry, parents. I'm not trying to, you know, make life harder right now. Kids know this. So do we. It's, it, it's not wrong to anticipate the time when you can enjoy the gifts, especially the Lord's Day. That's part of how we're made. So trying to fight against it and pretending like, no, godliness means working hard six and a half days a week. That's what true spirituality is. No. You remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? When the witch comes upon this one group after Father Christmas has just come in and he has provided a feast and the witch sees these animals and she talks about all the gluttony that's going on there. And she gets so angry at that. That's the spirit of which we have to beware. We love efficiency. We bow to efficiency. We say efficiency is what made us who we are. Well, you can definitely argue that in both its good and its bad points. 
This rest, this holy rest we have is not just ceasing from our daily tasks, but it's ceasing for the specific purpose of becoming like God. It doesn't mean that you must be actively meditating on Scripture every moment of your Christmas break. But it does mean, it does require that we let go of how we mark our normal progress and enjoy the things that make us human. The good things that make us human. Leisure requires discipline. That we discipline ourselves towards the purpose for which we were made. There's no shortcut to the joy that awaits. Worship demands our time and attention. So does the activities of cooking, reading, reading to yourself, to your kids, singing, playing an instrument or a board game, celebrating Christmas, Easter, a birthday, or a baptism. And this discipline requires sacrifice of time, resources, and sacrifice of all the things that give us validation, we think. All the boxes that we, when we mark them off, we feel like I've now accomplished my purpose as a human today. We have to give those things up. This is how culture is built and how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we prepare for eternal glory. Jesus died to give his people rest. So let us learn to worship, celebrate, and rejoice in the gifts that he has given. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for the gifts you've given. And as we gather, may we delight in them with holy joy. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh,